Namaste, motherfuckers. And welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 51, Paul D. Pasquale. Paul D. Pasquale obviously is a local sculptor, most uh, famous for that big Indian that used to creep over the diamond and now creeps over the Lucky Strike building looking at the river. And we get the backstory of that in this episode. He also did the Arthur Ashe Monument on Monument Avenue, which we also get a story about in this episode. And we, we get a lot of other stories. And I got a lot out of talking to Paul. I was in a kind of a weird frame of mind because... Uh, for the Mo Carnage one, I, I kind of had to come face to face with some attitudes that I have. For one thing, somebody got really irate about my impression of the homeless woman that approached me uh, out of the blue in the middle of the church. And of course, you know, there's just plenty of fables about that, you know, good Samaritan type stuff or, you know, what better time be helpful to somebody than when you're just fucking walking out of church, really. But I was being a typical bourgeois pig at that moment. And, uh, you know, it, it takes... It's the point of doing this podcast is me to challenge myself by talking to people. I gotta admit, before I sat down with Mo, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, because um, I don't... You know, I, I felt like her views and her actions are pretty extreme. They involve a lot of fuck yous and not... I don't find that constructive, but I, I was wrong about that. She's somebody who puts it, puts her money where her mouth is and walks it like she talks it. And, and you know, she made me, you know, held up a mirror to a lot of uh, blind spots that I got. And then, you know, so that, there was that woman. Somebody got mad about the way I characterized that woman and wrote like two fucking thousand page comments on my board about it, which I posted and... And, um, you know, it was full of fuck you, too. You asshole, you bourgeois pig type stuff, and paraphrasing. And, uh, you know, I realized, well, that's fucking true, really, too. I mean, but the truth is, is that I'm I'm not that evolved, and that, that was the reaction I had. I'm going to tell the truth about that. And that is why I created this podcast. I didn't create this podcast to be a good journalist. I didn't create it to be a celebrity. I didn't create it um, to blow anybody anybody's mind with my interviewing skills. I created it to have an authentic document of conversations that I have with people, sometimes more one-sided than others, because I can really get on a tear, and, uh, you know, it's something I'm self-conscious about, and I, you know, I went into this thing with Paul feeling a little beat back, and a little embarrassed, and a little chagrined, and a little like, uh, you know, what do I get off talking about all this shit, but the thing is, you know, I'm a citizen of Richmond, I'm a person who has been at ground zero for a whole lot of what goes on in this town, whether it's my Richmond public school experience, my growing up in Church Hill experience, my working for the city experience, my going to VCU and working in wrecking parks when I was working for the city, I just said that. I've had a lot of, uh, you know, concrete experience of a certain kind, and um, I, I, I need, you know, want to talk about it, and I want to talk about it like as it what happened for me and i'm not trying to lump all this shit into categories of should and shouldn't be like this is what happened you know and where i'm at now i believe in personal like a personal accountability like you can't 
nobody can hide behind a, a victim race or a victim gender or any of that kind of shit. Victimization, victimhood is bullshit. And, and I, I was actually kind of voicing a little victimization or victimhood about myself recently on Facebook talking about being joked by this uh, kid on a bike and it brought back a lot of bad memories about being beat up and ro and robbed and fucked with and otherwise humiliated throughout my childhood by people that looked like him and you know I, all I was starting out to say was come on you know it, it's time for this to end and it turned into a big fight with a friend of mine on Facebook about basically he's saying that I, I I guess I gotta take it for the rest of my life from a certain kind of person because of the what people who look like me did to people who look like him and I'm not I'm not here to say none of that shit didn't happen or the racism is over I'm saying one-on-one -on -one people personal accountability is what I'm about and like how I act and how other people act and we don't all get to hide behind either the advantages or the disadvantages of groups of people you know, this whole, whatever, I'm, I'm not going to get a big tear about it, but I went into this podcast with Paul feeling really, I don't know, wounded, I guess. And it was really great talking to him and put a lot of things in perspective. And I got some counseling out of it or something, you know, um, I ended up and then we talked for a long time. I'm sorry. This is two hours and 12 minutes, not counting my intros and my outros, but I tried to cut it up and I just said, this is not what I do. I don't, I mean, every now and then I'll take out something that's really going to offend somebody or hurt somebody's feelings and whatever, but this isn't what I do. What I do is, this is tantric conversation. It is all there for you to listen to, and you can take it in small doses, take your time with it, but here it is, two hours and 12 minutes of me and Paul Deepasquale. Um When I met you, I was... Um, and this is 1990, 91. Yeah. yeah. Um, at that point, um, I had I had uh, placed the Indian at the baseball diamond. That was that your been, first like public? Well, it's what brought thing? me back to Richmond because that that sculpture was up in D.C. Okay, and uh, I I self produced it in D.C. because um, I became aware that there were no monuments to Native Americans in the capital of America. Hmm. And what drove it was the site, which was a corner building on the corner of Connecticut and Calvert Street mm -hmm. overlooking Rock Creek Park, uh, a.k.a. Indian Territory. Mm -hmm. so, what was that, Indian Territory? Well, the Potomac as opposed to the Potomac. Ah, and that okay. Rock Creek, I, the name for Rock Creek was... Uh, uh, Y Yokanta mm -hmm. for Rock Creek. That's his Indian name, and mm -hmm. uh, who knows if it translates as Rock Creek. Right. But the point is, this is a great spot uh, for a sculpture, a rooftop sculpture. Um, we've got all these colliding narratives. We've got the Washington Redskins. Mm -hmm. not, I mean, even then, that seemed politically incorrect. Yeah. And that was what you, that was in the. 90s that was the early 90s that or was, late 80s that was in uh, early 80s 81 okay. i was doing that so 80 uh, i quit my full-time teaching job at northern virginia community college and had saved up ten thousand dollars and uh when my first daughter was born i decided if i don't do this now i won't i won't do it mm -hmm. so i spent the money uh, i quit my teaching job and 
and started making this Indian. And this is a totally uncommissioned. Yeah, I, I got permission from the building owner to uh, put it up for six months, and I agreed to. Um, I mean, I just thought I would have the money to insure his roof and get the proper permits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened is I ran out of money halfway through it, and um, and I sold prints with a. The idea that if you bought a print for $200, and there was a limited number of them, 50, uh, when I sold the sculpture, I would give you your your $50, no, I'm sorry, your $200 back, but you'd keep the print as a dividend. So I called it etching dividends. (laughs) And and, uh, kind of war bonds. Right. (laughs) But in in truth, it was based on the idea of um, how... Off Broadway's funded, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of um, private uh, investors. Mm-hmm. So I sent out seventy-five letters, and I got uh, fifty checks in the mail. Actually, I got more than that—about fifty-five, fifty-seven. I think people sent me checks, but I had ran out at fifty. So um, you ran out of bonds, of prints. prints. Oh, bonds, prints, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, the point is, I raised, I raised the money. And that mechanism, calling it etching dividends, got it in the Washington Post, a picture of me sitting on the Mm half-finished sculpture, which at that point was – it was carved in a uh, isocyanate foam Mm -hmm. sprayed on a wooden armature, but it hadn't been fiberglassed yet. But then the Post sold it to – the night newspaper services and they sold it to the New York Times. So two weeks later, unbeknownst to me, uh, I was on the front page of the Washington talk section of the New York Times. <laughs> and when that happens, everybody wants to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, I was getting calls from uh, Good Morning America and um, and all the, you know, USA Today and all the periodicals. Um but I also got a call from the guy who owned the building, who turns out was the son of the man who owned the building, mm-hmm. who, who was infirmed and um, saw the New York Times. That's about all he did. And he didn't want uh, a goddamn Indian on his building, to quote <laughs> oh, Wow. <him. laughs> and so I needed a place to put it. And uh, Best Products had been interested in my sculpture, but... Um, uh, this is the what were their names? Uh, Lewis, Sydney, and Francis Lewis. Lewis yeah. yeah, and so I um, uh, contacted them. Fred Fred Brandt was their curator at the mm-hmm. time, and he had visited my studio previously. So and looked at work, uh, large fiberglass figures I'd been making. Um, deemed them, you know, too big, hard to vacuum around, whatever. <laughs> but I. Um, called him and gave him a model of the Indian. Uh, and I'm told that it ended up on his desk, on oh. Sidney Lewis's desk. He came back from Europe and said, what's this? And they said, well, this is the sculptor, you know, he, this is the model. He'd like to know if we're interested in it. And he said, yeah, let's do something with it. Wow. And uh, that's, so that's how it happened. For two years, they leased it and, um, the Lewis's? Uh-huh. And where did they have it? They put it on top of one of their buildings. Like uh, a best over, product uh, building? Uh, overlook, yes, mm-hmm. overlooking the Beltway. Um, and Connecticut is an Indian word for 
uh, well, the title, the, the, the long tidal flow or the long tidal river. Mm -hmm. So I considered that good enough for commuter traffic in terms mm -hmm. of tiding mm -hmm. in and tiding out. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Then they gave all their artwork to the Virginia Museum and gave the Indian back to me. And, uh, of course, I had been in a graduate school in Richmond at VCU and uh, uh, knew about Parker Field being rebuilt as the diamond. And uh, But at the time, I was living in California. So um, I, I had hopes to put another sculpture on a best product building in Santa Barbara, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or move the Indian out there. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, it ended. That's how it ended up being loaned to the Diamond. Mm. Yeah. And for their team, the Braves. Which, right. Was that right. considered a controversial name? It doesn't seem like we talk about that one. Be, I guess because Brave is is not a pejorative like Redskin um, is. It's yeah. I think the you know Brave. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know, what's the Indian word for brave? Is it is it the same as a brave, you know, like a soldier? Right, right. Or is, does it mean brave, like in uh, courageous? That was probably not an Indian word, brave. Probably not. It probably is a loose translation. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, no, the Redskins, I mean, it's like um, the Washington Redskins, right. the Baltimore Mulattoes. Right, mean, right, uh, right. Why yeah. is there that, you know, why, that's... <laughs> it's really it is, fairly, it is really we take it we're used to it or take it for granted but it really is yeah it's 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 astonishing that they came up with that and it's you taken know? this long i heard today that they've um petitioned um senators have petitioned to uh change the name mm. but but anyway i'm happy that he got uh the squirrels moved in and um it was a good place for how long was it there at the diamond like the whole time was the yeah, what was it like uh, twenty years? Or? 20, twenty-seven years, I yeah. think. Twenty-five or twenty-seven. And now it's on a a, a building that used to be a tobacco right. warehouse, Lucky Strike yeah. Building. It's on the Lucky Strike Building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great spot. For it, it is there. a good yeah. spot. Yeah, and uh, uh, well, it's developing as we speak. Uh, it could be. It won't be such a great spot in that if they build that uh, sixteen-story yeah. condominium, he might be facing, you know balconies right <laughs> is that that's where they're trying to build it below that on the it's at the end of Cary street east Cary street and it uh, i but i i don't know if he you know then there's another condominium that's planned for the old cement factory so mm -hmm. i suspect the the owner is odell architecture mm -hmm. and um uh i suspect that they'll eventually odell architectures who owns the the Indian. Indian now. And does is that what he's called? He's just the Indian. He doesn't have an Oh, Connecticut. His name's Connecticut. Yeah. Okay. Connecticut. I I once I found out Connecticut was an Indian name and it meant tidal flow. I, ah. See, corner Okay. Of, I wasn't following that before sorry I got that. Yeah. No, it's my fault. But Connecticut and Calvert is mm -hmm. where the original site was. Right. And uh truly that would have been a great spot for it, but um never got to go there. That's that's really cool. I always I never knew that it had that history before. I thought you were possibly commissioned by Parker Field. Or Reasonable the to Diamond. assume, yeah, sure, to do that. Yeah, um, that that was uh, common uh, thinking at the time. Um, it wasn't controversial, but it did 
it's an unusual image to bring mm-hmm. into a brand new building. It's really remarkable that um, the engineers and architects who designed the diamond went for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Hansen was the the man I worked with, and we're still friends today. In fact, we were both uh, went off the urban design committee at the same time. Um, but and Tom designed the interface between the roof and the sculpture. Mm-hmm. Um, just That's really as a, cool. Just as a sidebar, I'd like to mention that uh, the diamond is, you know, it's concrete, but it's not concrete and steel. It's concrete with aluminum rebar, reinforcement oh, wow. bar. Mm-hmm. So that That's what rebar is, stands for, reinforcement, reinforcement bar. bar. I mean, <laughs> well, you know. This is very educational. <laughs> Well, the cool thing about aluminum as rebar is it'll last 200 years, whereas um, y- your typical concrete and steel rebar is going to uh, so. Are years, you saying it's a perfectly years. good thing? Yeah, it really it shouldn't last. be torn down. Yeah. And in fact, if you think about, um, well, you as a native Richmonder know about many buildings that have been torn down that shouldn't have been torn down. Yeah. The most glaring example is uh, Old City Hall that was almost torn down. Yeah, and we did save that one. Yeah, amazing that yeah. they would consider tearing it down. But I, th- I predict that if they do tear the diamond down, it'll be a matter of twenty years that people will be wringing their hands, you regretting know, it. You know? you know, this is like a really don't get me started about all of this stuff because it takes up. I mean, I, I've talked about all my feelings about a lot of this. A lot, and uh, and there's so much controversy around it, and I really want to know, like your in this time, I want to know your trajectory. Uh, like, how did so? Did you start in Richmond? Did you did you grow up here? Oh no, I um, I ended up in Richmond because of the uh, graduate school program and sculpture at VCU. So, where are you from originally? But I grew up in New Jersey, uh, outside of New York. My father commuted into the city on Pennsylvania Rail. Oh, wow. Um, but I spent summers on my uncle's farm in Kentucky, southwestern Kentucky. So um, ostensibly helping, mm-hmm. mostly getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. But um, but no matter where I went, I talked funny, mm-hmm. you know, because I'd talk like New Jersey and Kentucky and right. then I go back up to New Jersey and talk like Kentucky. <laughs> so Richmond, you know, with things like house and boat and mm-hmm. uh it's a it actually borrows from what I'm used to mm-hmm. on both sides. But I went to UVA um and Did you study fine arts? No, I was in pre-med to be a veterinarian. Wow. And I aced biology, and then I hit chemistry and got a B minus, and I hit organic chemistry and got a D. Mm. And I might have even gotten a D minus. That's a lot of people get broken by organic yeah. chemistry, right? Yeah, it That's was, what I hear. Anyway. It was a killer. I worked harder in that subject than any of my other ones, and I still got a D. So I took that as a good indication not to go into a pre-med program. Mm-hmm. And uh, then at that time discovered welding in the sculpture department and started welding everything I could find together and taking summer classes in their art program. Um, But I still thought I needed to have a real profession. And so after I graduated with a degree in sociology and a minor in art, I um, 
went to architecture school in Boston for a year at Boston Architectural Center, which was a night school. You have to have to go. You have to. It's required that you have a day job in mm. construction or architecture. And that's where I discovered I wasn't good at a desk job. Yeah. And thought, imagined I could make a living making sculpture for TV or uh, or um, movies or sure, like sets and yeah, things like or that. museum uh-huh. work. Mm-hmm. So um, that was the plan. So and, it, it was uh, still very practical and trade oriented. It wasn't like uh, you wanted to be, uh, you know, an actual. Well, that was my fantasy. Right. I, let's put it that way. Yeah. But, you, you know, um, to be fair, I, it was um, uh, the graduate program gave me an opportunity to not do anything else except paint in the summer. And mm-hmm. I filled in with part time substitute teaching. You know, three days a week. But um, it, it, I learned a lot about tools and materials. But I was interested in figurative work as a format for mm-hmm. my work. I, I see that as a way to bring an audience to a sculpture mm-hmm. and then work with um, what you might call the, the poetry of the piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a narration in terms of what it looks like to people. And then... Uh, if they stick around to look at it, then there's a feeling that um, they're learning something they didn't know they were going to mm-hmm. learn aesthetically. So that um, I think of Neptune that way as a good example. It, it, first of all, it shocks people because it's 34 feet on the beach, on the boardwalk. And this is at Virginia Beach. And you built that? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you built a sculpture in Virginia Beach called Neptune, and is I think I've seen this before. Actually, is, does he have it? He has a tail, and or he, no? What no, he it? doesn't have a tail. Um, he I haven't seen it. Uh, he's just from the waist up, which is why I got the job because they mm-hmm. were specific about what they wanted. They wanted a 16 foot Neptune on 12 feet of rock, and um, so my Neptune was 16 feet from the. Um, belly button up and that made him three times the volume of anybody else's mm. uh, Neptune more than twice as big but you know when it's volume it's not just linear twice as tall it's also volumnier and um, so my Neptune has a head that's five feet um, uh, from chin to crown whereas everybody else's was like and who are some of the others? Uh, just other Neptunes? That well, people that, that they sent out a request for qualifications ah, and they got okay. proposals, requests for proposals from all over the world, and um, but nobody from Virginia. And it was really the Ash Monument that um, the curator for the Museum of Contemporary Art in Virginia Beach uh, had seen and read about the Ash Monument. And he called me up and he said, look, we need somebody from Virginia to apply for this great sculpture of Neptune. And, you know, they were specific. They wanted an Italian Renaissance interpretation of the king of the sea. Mm. But mine was, including his trident, was 34 feet to the top. And, um, and, and it was a perfect sight. I mean, there's nothing but sand or earth, sky mm-hmm. and water, you know. So um, I was real excited about it. And 
I just thought if I, um, a lot of, well, the Indian, um, the Children of the Ash Monument, uh, Neptune, yeah. and um, in, uh, in my case, I, I try to look for a need, a narrative need. Mm-hmm. So for the Indian, there were no other Native Americans in the capital of America. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of self-produced work anyway. Uh, well, then the, the, a commission piece I did was the headman or the, it's called uh, the boatman on Brown's Island. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was commissioned. But there was the need was to acknowledge African-American contribution to the canal mm-hmm. and the canal system, the mm-hmm. canal, canal, or canal system, and um, which, of course, was immense. Mm-hmm. Of course, so was the indentured servant mm-hmm. uh, population. Uh, free blacks um, and servants dug the canals. Mm-hmm. But mostly uh, the African-American um, population went on to to pilot the boats or become headmen. I don't know why, but... Uh, That's what a headman is, is the guy that pilots the... Yeah, there... And he's the guy with the... It's a pole? Or has well, he got a mule? Or um, The... These boats were um, typically the ones in the Kanawha mm-hmm. um, waterway were f- about fifty feet long and seven feet wide, and they would you would roll barrels onto them, mm-hmm. and the barrels would go di- uh, perpendicular, so they'd be st- so they would roll them on and turn them sideways, so mm-hmm. they were you could line them up and stack them up. Mm-hmm. But there was a man at each end of the boat with an oar a paddle sticking mm-hmm. off the bow or the stern of mm-hmm. the boat. And the man in the front was called the headman okay. because he had to call the rocks. But they would never let the boat get sideways in the current. It had to be it had to be parallel to the current, otherwise the boat would hit rocks sideways and break in half. Mm-hmm. So, and they would pole them. There were guys who were polers. So the, there were the I thought the so the canals I thought were they were dug to get them out of the river. Because of the rocks, right? And you couldn't go past uh, that point in the river; it wasn't navigable, right? After that, but there were still rocks in the canal, or no, no, uh, I, I didn't say it clearly. So, um, so it was clear sailing up until uh, you hit the falls of the James. Mm-hmm. That's where the canal picked up. Then the con- then the canal emptied into the James again. So, um, so you could you could go on the river and the canal. Oh. So you'd be coming downriver mm-hmm. to get to Richmond. Um, coming upriver, you would have to do that by sail. Okay. Yeah. So coming, and what is down? Coming from like Huguenot uh, or? Well, um, um, Lynchburg, for example. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come, coming out of the mountains. Right. Coming, yeah. Okay. yeah. But Lynchburg, to get anything to Richmond was easy, you know. So these boats na- navigated the whole James. They didn't just... Do the canals they right? Were, right. Okay. Right. Okay. But in the river, the river's shallow. Right. And uh, they could pole in the river, or they could pole in the canal. Um, once they got to Richmond, of course, there was a turning basin where the uh, where the James Center is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you imagine what that would be like today to have a turning basin that's essentially the size of two football fields, right in the middle of downtown mm-hmm, Richmond. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would be. The San Francisco of the East, you know. Yeah, yeah, a little bay. Like and right we were there. the first to have streetcars. 
in the nation. We made streetcars for everybody else. Um, the story is GM bought, them, bought, up, bought up all the streetcars and replaced them with diesel buses after the Second World War. I don't know if that's true. I'd heard that the, and then before that, the, that the rail bought up all the canal and filled it in to put rail lines. Well, over the that. reason for that is that the the best place to put a railroad is along a river because yeah. it's, it's uh, flat. Yeah. But it it did. It killed the canal. I mean, um, when it, I guess 1906 or thereabouts, that uh, trestle that goes past Church Hill that you used to be able to drive under. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. it's the it's you the Capitol Trail yeah, yeah. walk. That was um, when that was put in. It wiped out Libby Prison was there. Oh, really? Um, but it wiped out all these shops that would basically sell rope and sails and you know seagoing needs because that would, uh, especially Fulton or Rockets. Yeah, Landing. they built boats down there, right? and There's they built right across the river. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, the railroad changed the face of Richmond, but. Just like uh, tearing the diamond down, we tore all those things down. And you know. it's such a complex issue. I mean, like nobody ever built any of that stuff to be romantic or historic or aesthetic or anything. They built it for industry. They built it to have a use, right. you know, to make money right. and whatever. I mean, I'm just taking the the you know the that side of it. And and so once that tool was no longer relevant, they put it away and they built and they put something else in that aided all of those things. And they kept doing that. And in one respect, all the things that, and I'm not for this, I'm just taking this other tact in one respect, the things that are, are frequently, you know, being done are in the name of the same thing that those things were originally created for its progress and commerce, you know, but well, that I, I, that's true. I mean, that, I think you're, you're expressing, um, you know, a functional right. reality. However, uh, a lot of times, form following function uh, um, is what we see in nature, mm-hmm. and we coexist with that, thinking nature's beautiful. Yeah. So a lot of times, this kind of design has an inherent beauty. If you think about um, Grand Central Station and the kind of mm-hmm. support of the glass ceiling slash roof that mm-hmm. was in there, it's ba- you know basically looks like. Um, like flora, you know, mm-hmm. like plants holding up this glass. Well, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that because I don't. I mean, I'm not the kind of guy that is in favor of. I don't want to see anything torn down. I mean, I grew up in a in, a, in Churchill and a in a um, a child of that notion of historic preservation, and I'm a big fan of it. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm wondering like, what what is it about Richmond that it hasn't preserved? You know the the overall thing. I mean, when when places like New York have built such things and kept them, and San Francisco has, and what is it with Richmond that are we like? Is it? I mean, there was obviously the Civil War where the whole city was burnt down. Yeah, torched. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's an Americana kind of attitude. Um, new is better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we see that with the internet in a way because. Email and texting has mm. taken over phone conversation. Right. In truth, the best way to know you got through to somebody is to call them. Right. And, and uh, you know, have a voice on the other end. For at least I, I think everybody's had the situation where you send an email saying you're going to be late and nobody knows because they didn't right. check. Or right. 
course, that's starting to change, especially once we get the implants into our brains. <laughs> but my point is um, there are some things that were originally designed and are still good ideas, and we don't need new ones or, or better ones. Or we make something that's newer and in some ways better, but it's not as complete. So right. it, in that sense, it isn't better. Um, but And buildings are the same way, I think. Um, I mean, that's that's. I probably need to write a letter to the editor about the diamond because the assumption it needs to be torn down is based on a piece of it falling. Yeah, that was about the size of a orange mm-hmm. piece of concrete, and I asked, uh, which happened quite some time ago. It did. Right? Yeah, but I asked uh, Tom Hansen about it because we were on this commission together. And he said, well, it has nothing to do with uh, concrete, and um, that was when I learned about aluminum rebar. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said that was an expansion contraction problem, and it was a miscast. It was just a bad piece of concrete. It was a bad pour in one place that was out of sight. Mm -hmm. Nobody saw it, so it rubbed off. Um, There aren't any others. Nothing else wrong with it, really. They checked the rest of those seams where they come together like that. So, um, but people want a new baseball stadium, right? Uh, because they want it to be new. Teams uh, and, and owners want right. new ones, right? But I mean, they don't have enough bathrooms. I mean, give me a break. How hard is it to put a wing out on the <laughs> right. diamond and put bathrooms in yeah. there? You know, it's just uh, it doesn't make sense, really. But. It's like getting a new car every uh, every two years. You know, people, mm-hmm. some people are conditioned to do that. And, and we do have such we have great buildings still in this town. That why not like fix them and build them and build onto them and and keep them. You well, know. the problem though with some, with new buildings is that they do have a, a life and mm-hmm. they won't be insurable after a certain number of years because of how they were built. Yeah. And uh, that's what's grand. The old buildings have that problem? Is well, it? no. Like New buildings. Old City Hall, is the, con- the, the block in that building is granite mm-hmm. block. And it's not going to decompose like, um, like concrete and steel or like cinder block would. Mm-hmm. So cinder block has a, a lifespan. So we, but I, I do think that we're getting clearer on it. But if you th- if you talk about recycling cardboard and you know you're trying to be a conscious human being, when you think about the amount of space and resource that a building takes up to throw it away, mm-hmm. um, they are grinding them up and reusing the the concrete as fill. But even still, it's just a tremendous waste mm-hmm. if you don't have to. And then if you look at Fulton Bottom, that tore out. Due, due to HUD in the 70s, 60s. Um, this happened across America. They tore out neighborhoods because they were slums and put in, uh, tore out the buildings and put in new buildings, with, tore out the narrow streets and put in wider streets. Well, that was um, 40 years ago, and now the buzz is to have narrow streets, porches, uh, buildings closer together, and because that that uh, fosters neighborliness, mm. and yet that's exactly the opposite. That's what we had in Fulton Bottom, uh, and granted, from all 
I can read about it. Many so that was definitely torn down just because of blight. Because I'd heard a story that the reason Martin Luther King Bridge is so overbuilt is it was, that 64 East was supposed to actually cut through and come across there and then go over the hill and down through there. Um, there was supposed to be an on-off ramp that, that came through that little valley there, and then they just ran. I mean, this is totally a rumor. I, uh, I don't even know where I worth, got it. But. It's worth checking out. I It is quite a belt, quite a well-built bridge. Because um, what was there previously? Do you remember the uh, the viaduct, the Marshall Street viaduct? I never saw that. Uh, you've heard of it, though? You know, I have, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a, something similar to that train trestle down there, apparently. It was just like a... Well, I am familiar <laughs> with the train trestle. I actually um, built my studio out of some of those... Uh, wooden members oh wow six by 10 by 14 foot creosote oak trestle parts but uh and of course used to um i'm sure you walked into the um the river side of the of the tunnel when you were small i did oh yeah when when i was an adolescent in a in a teen we played down there like all the time like went have you been down there recently i haven't no like, yeah it's it's really too bad i mean it's uh, because obviously CSX doesn't want people in there, uh, so they tore up the tracks and they they put all the um, railroad ties um, just a jumble in the in the path where the tracks used to be, kind of like pickup sticks, mm-hmm. but times you know it's sort of as a barrier 50. so you can walk in. Yeah, there. so mm-hmm. you can't walk the tracks any longer um, or the track bed. It was pretty, like, when I was a kid, it was pretty scary up in there. There was, like, all kinds of random stuff in there, (laughs) bicycles and mattresses. and Yeah. Well, I I used to bring my daughters in there. Um, uh, We made at least two Halloween uh, afternoon trips to Dead Man's Cave, you Mm -hmm. know. I always wondered if that, if with modern engineering, if if that tunnel could be you know, reopened if they, if they could handle it. Um, well, they did when I, this was, um, eight years ago, I think maybe six, they dug down, they, they essentially like digging a well, mm-hmm. uh, tapped down. And, um, apparently there's so many springs, um, under church Hill that it just keeps it flooded and there's nothing but, I mean, it collapsed because of that. Yeah. Who, who knows? But, uh, it is intriguing because, um, but you know, if you got to the locomotive that's we know is there, and there is a work car, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if there's a second work car, but it's likely that it would be just this big spot of rust. Yeah, you know, just flake, totally worn down and flaky, yeah. rusty mm-hmm. um, um, spot and all this mud, mm-hmm. but. But um, well, yeah. the, so like you, you set out as an artist to do things that, you know, sort of incorporated the um, functionality of buildings and and had some of that structural um, backbone, but had an, a, a formative, had an organic sort of uh, appeal and and shape and everything. So you, you were thinking along the lines of building, and you were thinking along the lines of public space, and you were well in in. Uh, when I was in school, architecture and sculpture, um, the challenge is to make the sculpture fit the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, corners are inherently difficult to deal with, interior corners. And exterior corners are um, 
uh, I consider to be exciting mm-hmm. uh, as far as, as making something happen. But again, you know, it's kind of a dead space for a building. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the Indian uh, might not have been an Indian, except that when I because when I first because uh, I lived in downtown D.C. and commuted every day to Northern Virginia to teach. I went by this one site, and it just became obvious that this would be a great place for a rooftop. It needed sculpture. something, mm-hmm. and and I did want to do. I I wanted to work with the organic uh, human form, juxtapose the hard edged architectural form, mm-hmm. have that foil or present the mm-hmm. human form. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could have been a wave or something like that. But uh, here but we, under under the human form, you have to build. Something that is initially not human at well, all, right? That, well, that's where the building came yeah. in. See, it has to interact with the building. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the, so Connecticut is the only large sculpture I've done that, that interacted with a building that way. And um, um, I, I would still like to do, or I think about doing them, but... Um, fortunately, other people do uh, sculptures of people climbing buildings, uh, sculptures mm-hmm. of these figures, and I don't need to do them. They're <laughs> not, in my opinion, not as successful as Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Connecticut works for a, Connecticut works because of the scale of the piece. Mm-hmm. It, if it were smaller, it wouldn't it wouldn't be interesting. Yeah, and frankly, I, the piece is all about his fingers gripping the edge of the building. Yeah. The closer you get, the less you see. Yeah, which is the same is true with a lot of the work I. Uh, the same is true with Neptune. The same is true with Arthur Ashe, uh, because uh, I like that about it. it. It if you if a sculpture reveals itself entirely to the audience, then they go away. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be some some mystery. To it and yeah, that's a good way to say it. And 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 that was you were starting off to say that, that something about how Neptune works in that way that it draws people there. And well, the Neptune is um, intended to work with that sky, water, earth uh, motif and backdrop. That, kind yeah, of, mm-hmm. uh, everything from the turtle. He Neptune's holding a a loggerhead turtle. In the same way that you'd palm a basketball, mm-hmm. so it's it's floating in his left hand. Uh, he's just holding the shell. But if you look at his waist at that point, he's got this octopus crawling up these rocks, and uh, there are fish swirling around the base, the rock base, in two different directions. So, um, and then in the back, there are two dolphin. All of these, all these water creatures exist below the turtle line, if you will, mm-hmm. or the waistline. So the idea is that everything from the waist up is the is our world, is the air breather mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. and everything below the turtle is um, is the water world. And so he's playing the uh, he's the uh, kind of the catalyst between those worlds. Or? Well, that's yeah, that's his job. Yeah, but but uh, I I look at Neptune in terms of. Uh, as uh, drawing people in is that you have this fantasy world, kind of like when you go to the movies. The reason it's worth going to the movies and not just watching it at home is you're suddenly looking at figures that are 20 feet tall. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you fall into this fantasy. 
mm-hmm. uh, physically. You get or, kind of overwhelmed by the scale yeah, of it. Yeah, but you don't even mm-hmm. notice it. You right. know, it's just thrilling. Mm-hmm. So that's part of what There's Neptune, a visceral thing that's happening when right. you, yeah. And then, uh, and then how these, uh, these forms are interacting, I would, uh, uh, my, my goal in, in terms of choosing where they go is to do it in a way that keeps you walking around the piece. And then building in other things. Neptune, for example, has um, four globes on each corner of the balustrades that uh, surround it, the fence. And um, they're concrete. But we sandblasted the continents of the world into these four globes or the four corners of the earth, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then what I wanted to do is to sink the seven seas in little bronze uh, letters, but we we ran out of time and money, Mm. mostly time. But I did... Uh, stick starfish on them and there's on two of them have little octopuses crawling around uh, that where is it exactly well it's a 31st and the and the ocean so if you if you're on the boardwalk at virginia beach you can Mm -hmm. see it because it's only a 34 foot tall thing on the boardwalk right i think i've not been anywhere near there in a long time there there used to be an amusement park that was Mm -hmm. torn down that you might have been to that as a kid but I never. My mother thought Virginia Beach was too vulgar, so we went. Oh, it was it Buckrow was pretty Beach, nasty, and yeah. Buckrow had a nice little amusement park down there, and that we right. were we were into that scene. Yeah, Bay. <laughs> well, they've cleaned it up. I mean, they it uh, it's they've made it a lot wider. And um, I was down there last weekend checking out Neptune, seeing if you need anything this year. But it was um, there. You know, they've replanted a few palm trees that died with the. Uh, the uh, sub-zero weather last winter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the boardwalk is actually a seawall put in by the Army Corps of Engineers. Oh, wow. So it, it Keep goes, the beach from eroding. And yeah, well, it goes down 20 feet. And oh, it's, wow. Uh, it's 20 feet wide and goes 20 feet down. So it's this, it's this huge um, wall of concrete that looks like something you can walk on. Or you do, you know. So... How many pieces do you, in just Richmond do you have? Uh, well, you see, Richmond, what happened with Richmond is I was brought back here on account of the, putting Connecticut at the baseball stadium mm-hmm. because I had moved to California. You finished graduate school and you went to California. No, I finished graduate school and I went to Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. So that's what, okay. Yeah. And, um, and so that's where I built um, a number of larger-than-life figure sculptures, and then I did the Indian. And that was Okay, when, so the Indian was done post-graduate school while you were living in D.C. after you graduated from Right, graduate. okay. in a, a four-car garage. I mean, wow. it, it was really uh, an obsession. That, and then when it was purchased, you left it behind and went to well, California? Well, I, I needed to do something with it, so that I, I did lease it. I was lucky to lease it to Best Products. Mm-hmm. Went to California. They were real happy with it. It was getting... Exposure on all it, it got exposure on ABC and NBC and CBS mm-hmm. news, and then people would write about it and talk about it as uh, you know a sentinel, and um, it, people would go to see it. Mm-hmm. So, and it was well received by some people in the Indian community, which was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I wanted that. I wanted it to honor, not to mm-hmm. caricature. Piss people off, right? Right. right. So, um, but 
when I came to Richmond uh, after the Indian was done, I and then I the next thing I got was a commission to do the headman statue, and that was not a lot of money. It was made out of fiberglass, like mm-hmm. the Indian. Mm-hmm. But one year after it was put up, it got stolen, which also happened to be prom night for Richmond, Henrico, and Hanover County schools. Mm. It ended up uh, being found two months later at a quarry out in Hanover because it had hit the news that you know this crime had be had been committed, and. Um, so, so it was dumped. Pl- dumped it somewhere, yeah. Dumped, but it they was... They dumped it in the quarry, like in the... Just wall. at the quarry. Oh, okay. I, I didn't see it. The police were called in because mm-hmm. like washing machines or refrigerators that are also dumped at a quarry, people use for target practice. Oh. But uh, this 10-foot black man sculpture uh, <laughs> in fiberglass had, the police said, over 400 bullet holes in it. Oh, nice. So <laughs> that hit the newspaper again and it incensed the people the Astoria Beneficial Society was part of the people who funded it the um, funding for the sculpture they and um, I guess they got behind fundraising and they raised $25,000 and so I redid it but this time I did it I was able to find a foundry that would do it um, for 20000 22000 so I got, I didn't pay myself to redo it much, but I figured it was worth redoing to to be able to do it in bronze. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to do that. And then after I did that, um, I had done large clay figures, but I'd always cast them into fiberglass because I couldn't afford bronze. But after doing that, I realized um, I could do this large clay figure and um, if I if I did one that was worthy, that fit a market need, if you will, um, I could probably find funding to get it cast in bronze. Mm-hmm. And around that time, I met Arthur Ashe, and that's that's really the beginning of the thinking that went into writing him a letter and saying, "I'd like to do the, I'd like you to authorize me to do this uh, did you, portrait." So you got you, that was in the works before he died. Right. Did That's you right. did you get it done before he died, or was no, it no? Okay. I, um, he, uh, I wrote him a letter, I guess, in uh, around Thanksgiving. Um, he, I met him um, in the spring before. I'm trying to think what year it was. Nineteen, um, um, nineteen ninety uh, two is when I met him. And so in the fall of 92, I wrote him a letter, and um, he called me in January of 93, and he said he thought it was a good idea. And he was dying of HIV. Yeah, he had contracted AIDS um, um, with a plasma um, blood transfusion Mm -hmm. uh, due to a brain tumor. Mm. So um, he was living in New York at the time, and it was pre- understanding of just what AIDS was about. And mm-hmm. so people were giving blood or selling their blood and mm-hmm. the blood banks were a lot of drug addicts and soaking very, it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And giving it to people. And, mm. but, but that's, he, he had a tennis clinic and I brought my uh, daughter Kate to it and about um, eight other kids from Fulton Hill at the request of the rec center. 
So if Mr. Kingston, the rec director, hadn't said, would you mind driving some kids over to see Arthur Ashe? He's sponsoring a tennis clinic. Um, it wouldn't have happened. But uh, as it was, I met him, and I thought, and I, I had never heard him speak, and uh, he was, um, he was a riveting speaker, and I went up afterwards and shook his hand, and I, I wanted to say, you know, and I did the Indian at the Diamond right next to the <laughs> Arthur Ashe Center, but uh, you know, I didn't. That's what the sports backer. No, wait a minute, is it still called Arthur Ashe Center? I believe so. Is, yeah. It's still there and everything. Yeah, I haven't thought about that place in a but while. But that that building won't last much longer. It's a steel skin building, so mm -hmm. you know, it would need to be torn down. Speaking of tearing down buildings, mm -hmm. but anyway, um, so he was all aboard with uh, doing it. Had um, you picked? I mean, did you have a, a patron or anything like that? You just decided you wanted to do no, because see, I had just done this um, ten foot statue of the headman. Mm -hmm. And it cost me about $600 of clay. Mm -hmm. So um, once I recognized that here was this internationally known hero mm -hmm. from Richmond, born and raised, product of our public education mm -hmm. um, system, that was essentially being ignored. I, I, I saw that tennis clinic as a, a somewhat of a slap in the face because... There were more media there than there were uh, adult listeners. There were a mm -hmm. lot of kids. There were 60 or so kids. But, you mm -hmm. know, everybody had been um, farmed in. Mm -hmm. So um, they uh, weren't. Is, is my girlfriend coming in the door there? It was. Um, uh, it, 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 it was obvious that um, something was was wrong with this picture mm -hmm. is how I felt about it. So, um, so anyway, once it took me about nine months to um, decide to to do the uh, piece, and um, well, I needed his permission. I saw it as it, it wouldn't be worth doing if I didn't have his permission to do it. But as a contingency, if he did not approve it, then I was I wasn't going to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. It would have just been practice. Mm -hmm. So two weeks after we spoke, I um, I was going to meet with him in New York, uh, um, or I was supposed to call him. And um, what happened is I, he, I called and called and left messages and nothing happened. Um, then that was on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was hoping to go up there the following weekend. And then Sunday, the paper had um, Arthur Ashe dies. Oh, wow. Um, and then I went to his funeral on Wednesday at the Arthur Ashe Center. And Mayor Dinkins was there from New York. Mm -hmm. uh, Governor Wilder was there, everybody giving soliloquies. And um, um, I came home from that, and uh, there was a package addressed to me uh, from Arthur Ashe, New York City. And opened it up, and it was photographs with a little post-it note on it. It said, uh, Dear Paul, let's talk soon, A. Oh. Ash. Oh, wow. And uh, so that felt terrible, actually, because I thought, well, so what? I've spoken to him. Um, 
I've got this post-it note and some pictures, but what do I do? You mm-hmm. know. So I wrote to his wife and I explained uh, what we had discussed, and she faxed me back and said, "I'm the one who mailed you the package. It's wow. the last thing he did before he went to the hospital." Oh wow! So and when can I come see the piece underway? So I sent her drawings after that, and um, and over the next nine months, she showed up three times, and uh, and said, you know, and one of the things he said is, I want to be as I am today, which was six one and one hundred and twenty eight pounds. Hmm. So very thin was mm-hmm. was uh, yeah uh, the directive, mm-hmm. and. You know, she gave uh, me additional photographs, um, but that and his request was that he didn't share that he share the podium with children. Hmm. He wanted the piece to be about children and him, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to be um, he he didn't want to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said he wanted books to be the most show that books were the most important part. Of your of your, um, uh, your, how did he put it? I guess as knowledge is power, books mm-hmm. needed to be part of the his message. Um, his cav- his parting caveat was, I suppose a tennis racket ought to be in there someplace. <laughs> so hence, it's in his left hand. He's right-handed. He's holding it by the neck, as you know. So all of this is the the design and the um, execution of that sculpture is all. These are all the things he wanted. The parting. It's true. Yeah, he final um, wishes of a dying man, and uh, which was not clear at the time. He didn't but, know that. And well, right. the other confluence of circumstance that made it happen was the fact that he had been speaking with the economic developer uh, of Richmond City. Um, I can't remember his first name. His last name was James. Mm-hmm. Um, about starting the Black Sports Hall of Fame in Richmond, mm-hmm. and and Mr. Ash was going to uh, be the chairman. So it was when I finished up the Headman statue, I was working with Richmond Renaissance, which is now Venture Richmond, mm-hmm. and uh, Clarence Towns was the director, and he said, "Well, what are you working on?" And I said, "Well." What I want to do is an authorized and approved statue of Arthur Ashe. And uh, Mr. Towns slapped his desk with both hands, and he said, how can I help you do that? Wow. And I said, well, you can get this letter to him for me. And that's how, I, that's how my letter got to him. But the point was, as far as Mr. James was concerned, that the statue was going to go at the Black Sports Hall of Fame, which was fine with me. Mm-hmm. I, I it could go anywhere in Richmond. I just wanted to see it honor the man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured if I did a good job, I would find a funding. A, he would approve it, and B, I would find funding to put it somewhere. And and, and that Hall of Fame never got built? or is Well, it ex- um, it's interesting. Uh, a year and a half after the Ash statue was installed, um, I was in my studio and the, somebody knocked on my door and I opened the door and it was two FBI agents. And they wanted to know where the $100,000 came from 
that funded the resurgence of the Black Sports Hall of Fame. And I, I didn't even, I mean, I, I had heard that the mayor at the time was uh, uh, Mayor Young, had come up with a donation of $100,000. Leonidas? Leonidas, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. To, um, to start the Black Sports Hall of Fame, again, to restart it. So he hired, um, he hired a director, um, Harrison Wilson, and um, they made a video and showed it to Jeannie about how this would work, that, that this is still a good idea. And she agreed to be... Fundra- and Jeannie is Arthur's... Arthur Ashe's wife. Okay. Jeannie Ashe. Mm-hmm. Um, Mutasami Ashe. And she agreed to, to, um, to be the chair or maybe co-chair. I'm not sure who, if she was co-chair, I can't remember who the other person was. But, um, so it started again. And at that point, the city had already decided that it should go on Monument Avenue, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a bad idea initially because I didn't think it would work. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I thought there'd be another civil war, Mm -hmm. which there practically was. Or more target practice. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right. Mm -hmm. And, um... And it has been target practice, even not not literally. Maybe nobody's shot at it, but it's it's caught a lot of flack. Well, <laughs> I, people will go to their grave hating it, mm-hmm. being on Monument Avenue and not liking that design. Mm-hmm. Ironically, um, a, a statue did get made of Arthur Ashe by a committee with a, a large net of um, applicants, you know, commissioned uh, in the Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York. That statue is uh, nude. Um, the um, the descriptions. One of my favorite description is it's anatomically complete but not accurate. <laughs> so it, it's accurate in that it you can tell it's a human figure, mm-hmm. but um, but it's um, it's not Arthur Ashe. It's muscled out. It's kind of a Spider Man mm-hmm. uh, in the the uh, hero's proportions. Yeah, uh-huh. As if he's serving um, a tennis ball, but there's no tennis racket. There's just a baton in his serving hand. And um, the idea is that he's passing the baton on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. So uh, so back at you, <laughs> this is this is having anything with Leonidas Young and his what he eventually went to jail for? And um, like, well, it was just more shenanigans, I mm-hmm. guess. I, I I, they expected you knew where he got the hundred thousand dollars. They were just doing their job, as right, far right, as I could right. tell. But it did kind of um, drain the blood out of my head for the <laughs> first five minutes. I I, um, I didn't know what they were asking. You know, it's uh, what I knew was what I'd read about, and what I'd read about was that they had a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. That's what they started it up with. As far as I know, they raised very little money, if anything. Mm-hmm. And Jeannie Ash quit. But um, it really aggravated her with the city. Mm-hmm. She felt like she had been sold out, as far as I could tell. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, she did write um, uh, a letter to the editor on the on New Year's of 1996, New Year's Day. And, it's, and in the letter, she said she didn't think it should be on Monument Avenue. So she had changed her opinion. She didn't. She never said she wanted to put it on Monument Avenue, but she didn't object until then. And um, well, you know, when you, 
I don't mean to interrupt, but I feel like, you know, I'm catching a thread of like a story that I wasn't aware that has really informed, you know, what you've done. And, you know, there's, there's a narrative here and you have very like calmly and just sort of like, you just have decided, you know, <laughs> well, you've I'm, wanted to do this thing and you've never really wanted to step on anybody's toes or, or be super controversial. You were just like, Hey, this just makes logical sense. Like there's supposed, there should be an Indian I, here I agree. I mean, and I, there should be a black headman and there should be a, you know, these, I mean, the city was built by African Americans or, or black men and women and yet, all of the everything that's being commemorated around here is Civil War soldiers, you know, well, which are not only second place trophies but also political insurgents, basically, like right, you right. know, traitors to the United States. Well, and, I mean, but they, you know, they're they're very decent monuments, and at the t- and they're genuine heroes right. to a large to the majority population at the time. So you're just saying you're not trying to be like in your face or anything like that. You've just been coming along saying, well, this well, should. See, Monument Avenue, I mean, anybody who comes to Richmond and sees Monument Avenue, the first time they're here is impressed. Yeah. Uh, You might be depressed in terms of what it stands for, depending on your background and culture. But Mm -hmm. um, they're still very impressive. But they are what they are, and they're impressive statues. And and I certainly felt the same way. But uh, the question changed. It, It was. Um, should Arthur Ashe be on Monument Avenue? That's that's mm-hmm. where it started. And it changed to why shouldn't Arthur Ashe be on Monument Avenue? Mm-hmm. Because it's an avenue of heroes. Because mm-hmm. it's a, the avenue is three miles long, you know, um, or another two and a half miles into Henrico. Mm-hmm. So um, there's plenty of room for modern heroes who aren't. So why shouldn't Arthur Ashe as and, a modern and, and hero? And more monuments... Yeah, even yeah. and and there will be more mm-hmm. monuments. Um, uh, it's highly unlikely I would do another one. Mm-hmm. But there, <laughs> but there are people talking about that to put more monuments of someone down there. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we're we're currently. Um, uh, ironically, now I'm on the Public Art Commission, mm-hmm. um, and I say that because initially the Public Art Commission wanted to have teeth during the days of the Arthur Ashe Monument mm-hmm. so that they could refuse it, mm. so that people who who made up the, the thinking I, was that a public art commission would know about art, and this isn't art. You know, we want, we want a statue, or we want a commemoration to Ashe that would, that would be more modern, more contemporary, mm-hmm. not necessarily... A bronze statue, and if it were a bronze statue, it would be an international competition. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the thinking. Um, I think of a lot of people who were on the original Public Art Commission, which was the the goal and the job was to administer a percent for art program. So that's why it existed. But they wanted to be able to accept or reject gifts to the city. Mm-hmm. So the Arthur Ashe Monument was privately funded. And then given to the city. By who? Several, By, many people? or um, The Virginia Heroes uh, organization, which was started by Arthur Ashe, was a group that um, mentored sixth graders. Uh, uh, heroes throughout Virginia would show up once a year and meet with 600 sixth graders in the Ashe Center or at the convention center and uh, talk about um, focusing on 
your goals and what do you have to do in order to be successful in life. So they were willing to take on the fundraising, and they appointed Governor Wilder and Tom Tuning, who was um, a contemporary of Arthur Ashe. And um, Mr. Tuning was CFO of Dominion Electric mm. at the time, or, or Dominion Resources. Um, so that's how the funding got done. But uh, when we unveiled the proof statue, which was a white plaster full-scale statue at um, the convention center, um, Governor Wilder got up and he was coached to, to not talk about Monument Avenue, to not talk about any site. Mm-hmm. You know, just here it is. And the first thing he said is, uh, and this statue uh, of Arthur Ashe deserves to be on Monument Avenue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, the shit hit the fan mm-hmm. and the next day in the paper. Um, and and a lot of misinformation just based on people's opinion about the little information that they have. Like, um, my, I think my favorite is a letter to the editor that complains about uh, having seen a picture of a plaster-proof statue in the newspaper, complaining that uh, why would anybody put a white statue of a black man anywhere, much less on Monument Avenue, uh, you know, which is dedicated to the sacred ground of the Confederates. So, and of course, there was never any interest to put it in the historic uh, district of Monument Avenue, mm-hmm. but people assumed that one of those statues would be removed so oh. that Ash mm-hmm. could go in. That was another assumption. So, you're right. Um, the shots continue to be taken, but um, uh, I think that um, there's a saying that uh, very often the, um, the 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 weakest cause has the loudest voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that people who are stridently opposed for whatever their reason or agenda will always be opposed and will always have a loud voice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, fu- you know, it, 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 I mean, the way to hear you like to talk about that, this and like the, the narrative that I'm putting together of you, you're a, a, a sculptor in public place and you wanted to express something that maybe isn't being expressed already. And you've just sort of been like, Oh, I just, I'm, I want to do this thing. And you don't have any big uh, crusade. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's just sort of like, no, this kind of, you know, I want to do this thing. It kind of belongs here. It captures my imagination, whatever. And, and it really is totally actually true story. You know, it's a real part of, it's not something trumped up. It's not something made up. It's not there. You know, you're not fabricating. I mean, you're, you are fabricating, but you're not, you're not fabricating this story. This is a story that just nobody ever pays any attention to or not enough people pay attention to the, the contributions of, people like the headman and Arthur Ashe to this city that have, you know, have been there since the very beginning, unrecognized. Right. Well, right. Um, and, and that's what I mean by market need. And I mean, in that <laughs> sense, my intentions were calculated. I mean, I, I wanted to do a sculpture worth doing. Mm-hmm. So what's worth doing? Yeah. You know, and I think that it clearly is the case. It's that, a big hole. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. But, 
people go to Monument Avenue to see the Ash Monument and the other monuments who would otherwise not go to Monument Avenue to mm-hmm. look at sculpture. Mm-hmm. So there's a value to that because um, uh, it opens up a venue for thinking that hadn't been thought before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chuck Richardson was a uh, councilman mm-hmm. uh, prior to the Ash him. Monument. Yeah, he and he was a Vietnam vet and uh, a really smart man who also was addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. And he got put in prison during the Ash Monument years. And he wrote me from prison and told me that he would like to see the monument with me when he got out of prison. Wow. And I was honored, and I said I'd be happy to do that. So um, on that day, I picked him up at his house over by Bird Park, and we drove over, and we got out of the car, and he stood. We walked up to the circle and stood in front of it, and he said, um, you know, this could only happen in America. This wouldn't happen in any other country where this uh, avenue to a, a cause that is um, – that is lost in the past uh, has changed direction. Um, a, a black man being on, on an avenue that was uh, dedicated to a war to keep black men enslaved. Mm-hmm. And I, I had never thought about it in terms of um, America doing that mm-hmm. on that level. Mm-hmm. But that's what it meant to him. And I think that is he voiced an opinion that a lot of African-American people have. And, um, and and from my point of view, what made it worthy is to ask him what his message is and how he wanted to be portrayed. That's That was the whole point of, of like, an, like an authorized biography. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's authorized, then you write the biography, but it, the biography includes... What the um, the wishes, subject wants the subject, yeah. to to say. Well, something that you're really shedding a light on for me, and you know, it's it, it has felt an, you know ancillarily to me that the efforts uh, around that time and and onward were more about countering that narrative of the you know the Civil War and and the just the old guard and the old South and all of that and. And and just still, you know, battling that. But the way you you cast it to me now, and the way I think of it now, it's like no, it's an independent assertion of a of another story that has been concurrent all along. You know, I, I and think it's, that's it's correct, like yeah. you know, it's like this is what has been people have been trying to do in the recasting of this city and the rebuilding of this city since you know civil rights and and on is to say, look, it wasn't at civil rights that all of this became true that we got you know african american people serving in in um office and in, in city councils and, and became mayors and governors and all of this kind of they've always been the fabric of right. the country they've always been here right. doing this stuff and now they the this true story needs to be elevated no more of this propaganda that in a lot of ways is what the and it's not against the propaganda but it's to say that like this story has to to come in 
you know, well, to the narrative. Uh, you know, the, and like, you, you've said the, it better than I've said it in the past. I'm going to have to pay attention to how you just said that. <laughs> well, it'll but, be recorded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, to the victor goes the spoils right. is the saying. And so the, the victor gets to tell the story. Right. So Monument Avenue used to be the story about these heroes. But they were losers. Didn't make them less of a hero just because they lost the war, you know. They're still heroes yeah. to people who paid money to to see them um, uh, made grand. But um, but you're right. What is lost is the understanding of um, the Richmond has always been integrated. Mm-hmm. It's always been you know forty sixty or sixty forty or fifty fifty. It's moved around very little in terms of the black-white population. It's just who who gets to tell the who's, story. Who's in, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Whose voice and, is being heard. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, um, I mean, I, uh, I got to go to school with, um, uh, in my first grade class of like 24 or 26 kids, um, seven were black kids. Mm-hmm. And that's because of Brown versus Board of Education. Mm-hmm taking effect in New Jersey at the time. Um, but did, I did talk to Oliver Hill about that, and he said, well, you know, probably your township was too small to have segregated schools. They might have mm-hmm. been, probably would be integrated anyway. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. my point is, uh, it was not until I went to UVA that I uh, saw what segregation looked like mm-hmm. because it was the first year that they allowed black students. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was there, and um, uh, no, I'm sorry, it's the second year they allowed the black UVA students. admitted black students in right. The it, uh-huh. That was in 1968, mm-hmm. and in 1969, it was the first year they admitted women. Wow. So, um, and when I first came to Richmond, there was still a um, there was the col- the colored only sign had been taken down from the water fountain in Sears and Roebuck, but the white only sign was still up, or mm. just said white. Didn't mm. say only. It said white. Hmm. So I had never seen these things. Mm-hmm. I just because um, you're from New Jersey. And well, and in Kentucky, I didn't get around. You know, yeah, I was yeah. working on oh, the right, farm. Right, I never right. went to Louisville or right. anything fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, in in that sense, um, those things became obvious to me. But um, but I mean, I I saw it as an opportunity to do a worthy sculpture of a worthy man. Mm-hmm. And um, why would I not do that? Mm-hmm. You know, But it would, I saw that it would only work if he approved what I did. And so uh, it wasn't just Jeannie Ash. His, his Arthur's, uh, Arthur Ash's brother came to see it. Mm-hmm. And his exact words were, this is so much more like Arthur than I could have believed. Wow. And um, and his aunt and his his stepmother and his uh, stepsister um, and a host of other people, his cousin who still lives here, all of them spoke in favor of it. So and and you know to be to be honest, uh, being as skinny as he was, um, the problem I had was trying to make him. Um, not look un uh, to try to make him look athletic mm-hmm. um, 
in a warm-up suit mm-hmm. and uh, trying to – I mean, when you watched him play tennis, he was athletic, but mm-hmm. you still wondered how in the world is he going to finish this match. He's, you know, when he was 168 pounds, he was still skinny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was all muscle, you know. Um, but he um, – so the, the coaching I got from family – was you know Arthur stood, Arthur would stand straighter than that. His shoulders would be further back, um, and they would point to pictures. And sure enough, mm-hmm. you know he he wouldn't. Um, and that's what a portrait's about: is is where is the head held in the carriage of the shoulders, mm-hmm. or do people stand engaging one leg and not another, mm-hmm. or uh, things like that. So the the portrait of the sculpture is true, but it's not what most people want to see as a sports hero. Mm-hmm. And I would counter that he was more than a sports hero. Mm-hmm. And it's also a contemporary sculpture of him mm-hmm. or of his time. Mm-hmm. As you said, it, two weeks before he died. Mm-hmm. But he never did get to see any of the drawings I did. Um, we only talked about what he wanted it matches it, the it, it matches the purpose and it and all of the people that every that were involved and what what they wanted and his estate and his family and well I, and, I um so it went in in July and in November of ninety six the Washington Post sent their art and architecture critic to Richmond and he did not interview me I didn't know he was doing a story and he wrote. Uh, article called Richmond's Happy Medium. It was four pages and it went AP with photographs and he said in the first second paragraph placing a statue of Arthur Ashe on Richmond's Monument Avenue is the best thing to happen in the capital of the Confederacy in the entire 20th century. Hmm. I cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good that's a good take on it, you know. I, I almost thought it was going to be something, um, I don't know, more snide coming from that yeah. far away and that perspective, the Yankee, no, the be- Yankee perspective, right? You know, well, yeah. the the there have been um, that I know of four books that have reviewed it, and um, um, my well, I can't say my favorite, but I, one of them is called. Um, um, shock art mm-hmm. and um, written by a professor named Kamen up in Cornell University of Art History and History. He looks at uh, shocking sculpture, uh, particularly public sculpture, and he calls the Ash Monument a perfectly fine piece of public art but he's, he contrasts it to the one in New York, which <laughs> like, people complain shocking. about and <laughs> want to take down. Yeah. Because not only is it nude, it's not doesn't look like Arthur Ashe. It's in the spirit of Arthur Ashe. But, right. And, but it takes to, a lot of liberties uh, and poetic licenses. Well, to be fair, I mean, uh, Eric Fischel is a sculptor, and he's a, he is a um, prominent New York artist, uh, primarily a painter. But it's an exciting-looking uh, sculpture, but it it, it, um, it doesn't look like Arthur mm-hmm. Ashe in, in either visage or in... Well, I think it's body. interesting, too, is that 
all of the Civil War soldiers, in, uh, the generals, and, and then the one that's over here on Churchill, I assume they were all done at the same time. They're in the tradition of Roman, you know, Roman general, Roman European kinds of, you know, seriously aggrandized, godlike men, um, you know, mythical kinds of stuff, like, you know, done in that tradition, done in that, the, I mean, the, the soldiers and sailors one is based on, like, the Hadrian or some something like that, it, right. Uh, right. or Nero or something, it's an emperor in Rome standing on top of a similar column, yeah. right? Yeah. Corinthian thing. And 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 we they put a a soldier on top of that, and it's this incredibly like aggrandized, mythical, huge, you know, kind of false thing in a lot of ways. And you got the realist thing on there, you know, in a lot of ways. It's, well, I I think the purpose of those pieces, those older pieces that you're talking about, done from a, a, a classic background of how sculpture acknowledging. Uh, persons, heroes gets done. Um, their purpose, it almost doesn't matter what they look like as long as they're, um, as long as they fit the grade, you know, as mm-hmm. long as they make the, um, it looks like a sculpture grade. But what it does is it holds a place in history. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think that that is, the most significant thing that bronze and granite can do. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate thing is about uh, some public sculpture that gets done uh, is that it does, it's not permanent. Mm-hmm. It has no permanence. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the um, um, the rider sculpture that's across from the Main Street Station. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sky, one that's hanging. Yeah, Sky yeah. Rider. Sky Rider mm-hmm. is... Um, is coming apart, mm-hmm. and it, it simply isn't going to last more than. I mean, I, you know, it's been up. I, I'm not even sure, fifteen or twenty years. Yeah, it's not long. No, but the problem with it is that it's made out of, um, it's made out of welded aluminum, and um, and it's and it, those welds will crack. Mm-hmm. They simply will crack, and they are cracking. And then someone's going to be beheaded by a flying piece of. Well, well the city has to go back and. Weld it back weld them back up, mm-hmm. and every time they do that, it costs ten thousand dollars, and mm-hmm. they've already paid for the. Piece. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, um, that's an ugly side to that—that that it's this this cost of upkeep thing. Yeah, yeah, or you know, people talk about stainless steel being forever, but it's not. Stainless mm-hmm. steel will rust, and so the head of the policeman, which is on the side of the police station, on. Um, you familiar with that? It's called the Thin Blue Line. It's I haven't ever. Which police station? Um, on Gray Street, and oh, uh, uh-huh. down near Belvedere. Gray Fushi, maybe. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Okay. Somewhere around mm-hmm. there. Um, it's um. I mean, it looks like a policeman's head. Um, but it's it's made out of strips of um, thick strips of stainless steel. And it's it's you know it's just not going to last. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, which is you know comes back to the uh, the kind of stuff that people want to build because it's new and shiny is generally that sort of stuff that's not going to last. And I drive around this city now for my job, and I look at all of these malls and shopping centers and things that were have been built in the urban sprawl 
going out there that have been abandoned that you know are just they're not they're not going to last they're going to fall down so he's going to i mean it's such it, it, it's bad enough that like you know you, they things they paved all of this stuff and and, and torn up all of, but it then then it's abandoned and then it just becomes this trash heap you know and to some degree some of it gets used like maybe somebody puts a church in one of them or there's some other kind of discount store but it just keeps going out you know, and I, today I was out in, in um, all the way out there, Midlothian. I forget what that thing's called, Market Square or whatever. Uh, but it's way my dad was lamenting. He's like, this used to be the most beautiful rolling you mean out Piedmont. Sh- sh- short pump? Oh, no. It's way mean? out Midlothian. Yeah, it's, Midlothian uh, and it's right. like the w- most awful, like, just, it's just a big parking lot with big square crappy sand colored buildings. And it's somehow like, it's really, um, uh, uncomfortable to be out there in the middle of the summer because there's no shade there are no trees i mean it's not even the middle of the summer it's may and it's like hardcore and this stuff's not going to last and they, and, and, and and people just keep wanting a new thing and the, the builders want to build new stuff and everybody wants to spend the money and make the money to do that and and we've got all this stuff that'll last already here and what's i mean you have gently asserted a vision <laughs> You know, in, through in Richmond since the eighties or nineties. When did when was the in, when did the Indian? Yeah, I mean that was an accidental yeah, aspect, 80, but eighty five. Well, the Indian it, brought you back here, and then you started adding to this. Right. Well, you know, it, the um, the fact that there's a, a poor representation of black heroes or mm-hmm. female heroes or female black heroes mm-hmm. is obvious mm-hmm. now, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't obvious just uh, 30 years ago mm-hmm. to most people, I guess. Um, so that... So that um, so you've been gently asserting this story. You've been, noticed this hole and you've been putting things into it, you know, over time. And Well, and, and uh, the other reality is I, I was lucky to be asked to do a statue of uh, Martin Luther King for the city of Hopewell. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was with his son's... Uh, approval, mm-hmm. and um, I would not have done it if they didn't have his son on board. But um, it's a it's a um, really nice statue of mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. and part of the reason is it's it takes uh, practice to get. Um, uh, it takes it takes practice to get a visage. Um, done properly and mm-hmm. somebody like King um, there's so many photographs of him that you can see him from the back and from the side and shooting down looking up and up looking down and um, uh, so I'm real proud of, of how it looks and his son told me that um, of all the busts and statues done of his father this was one of his favorite three I didn't ask him what the other two were but I'd like to see him well, I, I think what's what's trying to form in me that I want to say with you know, or th- I'm thinking about with you sitting here is that you have sort of proven to the city of Richmond and uh, and to the people that are the most concerned with trying to do the things that they want to do now, like building this stadium down in Shaco Bottom and uh, building high rise condominiums over there. That you know, you you have the same, you have the right vision. For Richmond, or you have a vision that is being borne out pretty well, like you know by history, you understand how to build things that will last you 
you know, you care about this story. You're tr you've been trying to tell this story. Um, what better voice, really, to say what should be done in Shaco Bottom and what shouldn't be done? And what better, you know, voice to get, galvanize a little bit of people on many sides of the issue, you know, especially if, you, you know, you connect that narrative to the, you know, the headmen and all of, and all of this and Arthur Ashe and all of this other stuff to the slave site down there that, you know, one of the most important things that I think has to happen in Richmond is that we embrace our story, you know, and we stop like trying to gloss it over or be, because what that civil war, the civil war shit and the, and the, um, those statues and the Confederate flag and all that, a, a very good friend of mine whose name is Jamal Kareem. He's one of the, one of Malcolm X's minister's sons. I used to live here. I went to, open high, I think, or something. He said, look, the, what the, what's being expressed is not hatred. It's denial. Like, they can't stand that they lost that fight, you know? It's just, it's a pride issue, mm -hmm. you know? And what's your story if you lost this thing and you were basically wronged and shamed publicly? And, you know, it's almost like the German thing, you know, mm -hmm. at the end of World War One, you're You're humiliated by the winning side who say that you're a bunch of backwards racist rednecks and none of your accomplishments matter you're you know we're in charge now yeah. and and this assertion of you know the pre-civil war south and you know the leaders of that resistance is a, a desire to preserve pride you know not the pride of, that we usually think of that sounds backwards and racist but this sort of just this this pride of like i matter or i belong or i have esteem you know right like it's a real desire to 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 communicate that or, or to remember that you know or to ha you know have some edifice to that esteem thing and um in order you know it, it would be really nice to braid that need for everyone's esteem together you know <laughs> like african americans in richmond need esteem that's what you know the six the heroes thing is about you know that that's what arthur ash was trying to do Everybody and, and the people who f have the burden of guilt of what was done in this city prior, you know, to the Civil War and, and continue to be a problem afterwards is a problem now. We have a esteem problem, too. You know, everyone in this city has this kind of unspoken esteem problem. And we really need to, like, get, keep the story going that braids all of that stuff together and and find some. Yeah, you know. I, I, I agree. I think um, there is a connection particularly with what's going on in um, Shaco Bottom and this, you know, the need for new, mm -hmm. um, the need for development, the idea that we're going to make more money if we, you know, as a city, if we do this one thing. Um, has been but, borne out over and over again to not be true. Well, it's just, I, I, <laughs> it never I, works. I, I happen know? to agree with you. I mean, yeah. there are smart people on both sides, but I think that when it comes down to it, um, is it going to work is one question that I, I'm not convinced It doesn't of. seem like it's what Richmond needs. It's like, <laughs> well, we, you know, we have this, like, schism, and we don't need another brick dropped on, you know, I, I use this right. over and over again, another brick dropped on the anthill uh, to try to, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the, uh, the, um, uh, I got the on slave you. burial ground is uh, is a tremendous asset to Richmond's history, to mm -hmm. the story that needs to be told. It's preserved at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
so and that story doesn't have to be morbid it, and it doesn't have to be agree, yeah. ghoulish it like it could be like this is where it started and ended for some people but some people went through here and went on you know and some right. people survived this shit and some people built this city from coming through here and built the rest of the country and you know went on and on to do all of these other amazing things so this portal is both you know an atrocious you know example of uh, how brutal people can be and it's also like a testament to the resilience of people you know and like there really you know there needs to be some, if something commemorated that it would also say that's what richmond is you know it's resilient you know that we could come back from all these ass whippings and the shame and divisiveness and you know we can be something you know we can well it, it's true i mean like a lot of cities that um, are racially um, balanced, which we are. We're just not racially integrated mm-hmm. um, as well as we could be. Um, certainly at the public school level, it's obvious. Well, there are those of us like yourself and me, who, and you know, I'm, I'm living in this neighborhood and I I'm integrated. But I was just at the Salisbury Country Club today, and I've, I I go to a lot of places that are seriously not like the people who you know, loll about there and, and vacation there and spend their summers there. Nothing to do with this. Don't yeah. want any part of it. And yet those are the people that they're trying to draw with a oh, well, that's, baseball stadium. I, I mean, you know? no no offense to Biffy and Buffy, but they're not going to come to they Richmond don't want, right, to go they, shopping. They're no. going to stay at Short Pump or they're right. going to stay Point. at Town Center. Or right. Your, yeah. So let's forget drawing that money back here and you know well i i agree i mean i think that there's a there's a strong degree of hope in the plan to put the stadium in the bot in the shaco bottom and um but back to what i was saying the baseball diamond called the diamond uh really could be suited to um refitted to do everything they want it to do. Mm-hmm. And it it's a grand award-winning design. I mean the the design of the is you the design of the stadium is unique in the United States and um it's spectacular really. Mm-hmm. It's just that we've gotten used to it, mm-hmm. you know. And um taking it for granted. And yeah. and the and the politics behind a stadium saying we need a new uh, I'm sorry, between a, a ball club saying we need a new stadium or we're leaving. Mm-hmm. is um you know that's questionable it's like well go ahead you know um yeah really take uh, your ball and go home but but the thing is um how is baseball doing you know is baseball as popular right. as everybody thinks it is or assumes it is um you know we've got 10,000 seats I mean, football is huge and this same debate was raging in Minneapolis and St. Paul and all over when I was in Minnesota about building the Vikings a new stadium and like how much that money was not needed for something like that. It needed to go to the community. It needed to go to building things that matter and the Vikings are threatening to leave. And I mean, it's the same damn story out there. And that's a way, way, way more popular sport. And, and, and yeah, you're right. Well, yeah. I, um, it, I, I, I give the mayor credit on a lot of issues. I mean, I think he's done a number of things um, that were um, that have worked out real well. Uh, I do think the developers in this case um, 
have projected a scenario mm-hmm. that is um, that is a big maybe, and it, they, of course they still get to walk away with money in their pocket. Right. So, um, it, it, well, yeah. I mean, are you? I mean, are you staunchly uh, for or against? I mean, are you for building a? No, no. Uh, I think I don't think they should build a stadium uh, in Chaco Bottom. I think uh, it would be a mistake. Yeah. I, and I also think it'll it'll become a mis- clear that it's a mistake right away mm-hmm. uh, if they do that. Um, kind of well, like Sixth Street Marketplace. Um, I'm sorry they tore down the bridge over Broad Street. Mm-hmm. I think they should have left that up. Yeah. That that could have been any number of things that would have gotten cooler and cooler mm-hmm. the older it got. Perhaps that wasn't built to last either. Or is it just too shameful to... Uh, you know, that's a good question. I think it was steel. Uh, I know the, the panels were fiberglass that mm-hmm. were meant to look like steel, uh, mm-hmm. that, that were decorative. Mm-hmm. But Like along the bottom that it ra- surrounded staircases and stuff like that? Those were fiberglass? Um, or up in the, the yeah, roof of they it? They were and, like panels yeah. of, of like um, floor... Uh, flower dependent. See, I don't think it's negative to say that these big projects, and that's one of them, you know, that was Sixth Street Marketplace and then Main Street Station. And um, I don't know if the Civil War History Museum is successful or not. And then the Redskins training camp, all of these things, they just, they tell a very, you know, um, obvious story. I mean, they tell a very clear story that this is not what it, going to take this just benefits a few people in a short term and it doesn't it doesn't work so you know it's not negative or cynical to say let's try something different you know <laughs> let's not do this right you know and well you know uh, it's having been back in richmond uh the second time for about 30 years uh richmond's become a hip place mm-hmm. richmond's doing has made some good moves and um yeah but who did that well that's the that's where i was going with this mm-hmm. i mean okay. it's um there there are reasons um given richmond's history that it's coming along uh, in a way as a as a microcosm in america mm-hmm. it's positive mm-hmm. uh, and i think um, I mean, we still can't take a bus to the airport. That's that's a problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, the airport also, by the way, would have been a great place to put the Indian, mm-hmm. uh, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but, you know, if Scott's Edition is allowed to develop as it's doing as we speak on its I mean, own it's, without it's any... becoming quite hip. Right. And so um, that's what, I guess what I'm leading is that this is individuals and you know forming coalitions and or forming loose associations and like-minded people who want to live here who are interested in yeah i mean i think that across the country people are young younger people are moving back into cities and that's Mm -hmm. happening here um more people are bicycling to commute Mm -hmm. more people Given you work here, why not live here so you mm-hmm. don't have to drive? Right. I mean, especially if you, Northern Virginia is a horror show. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody's opening a branch in Richmond, uh, why not live in the city? And then the housing stock. Richmond has very decent downtown area neighborhoods. Have, mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's north side or south side or east end or mm-hmm. uh, or museum district mm-hmm. and, and closer. 
Um, there's yeah, it's already set up to be a really yeah. nice city. And, and, in, and that's going well. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, um, although I have to say, um, there's some real deals in Fulton Hill, but uh, um, they won't be deals for long because it's My sister's it's trying to buy a house up there, actually. Yeah, well, we'll have to talk some more about that because yeah. it's, um, it's eminently available right now. Well, I think, you know, I think... I don't know who, like, I mean, I talk about this thing on here and I talk to a lot of people about it and like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm really trying not to be reactionary or staunchly on any side uh, against anything. Like, I really want to say, you know, in my experience in this town, the things that have enriched this town are individuals getting together and forming communities and building stuff. And that's that's that evidence of success is equally as loud as the failures of these big right. projects. I mean, Churchill itself as a community, you yeah. know, not gentrification, a goddamn community of people that have moved in and integrated and lived together. And that was all done by the people who came in here and fixed houses and, and cared for the neighborhood. My mother is a part of a group of people that take pick up where the city, you know, leaves off planting, you know, trees all over and mulching the park and you know seeing that all of these things are done that the city says they don't have the money for right that's the kind of thing that the city should just lend its energy to that's the inertia that's the way that's the thing that's going on you know and it would just be so much cheaper well uh, it's true i mean in some sense that happens i mean um uh, I never understood uh when wilder when wilder was mayor in his administration his uh, disregard or disrespect or disinterest is perhaps the right word in trees. I mean, mm-hmm. he literally wanted to get rid of trees. Mm-hmm. And uh, in his admin, under his administration, 2,000 to 3,000 trees were cut down a year. And the total replacement per year was uh, three or 400 trees. It was never even made clear. Mm-hmm. And, um, but uh, the, well, there does get to be a point where something like there's a tree next to my parents' house that has grown such roots underneath the sidewalk. It's a beautiful old tree, and I would hate to see it go. But the sidewalk is is right. becoming dangerous. Well, it, it's not torn up yet, but it is reaching a, a, yeah. a height that is at some point. This something's got to be done. And well, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, we uh, we formed the urban design commission at the time reformed the urban forestry commission Mm. to address situations just like this that commission had been allowed to expire or was just dissolved under wilder's administration Mm -hmm. but um it it was supported by mayor jones and um you know, and for the last two years, he's planted two thousand trees. I mean, he's set aside money so to do that. So that's something really positive. The guy's done. Yeah, yeah. and um, y- you know, tr- trees trees generate as much controversy as art on some levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, people um, I've heard it, it expressed that trees drop trash, which is I couldn't. I th- I thought I was not hearing <laughs> properly when I first was told that. You know, but. Um, go around like I would I would anybody who says that I would invite to spend an afternoon in Midlothian like as it gets out where there are no trees anymore and hang out in these parking lots these just these ovens of cement and glass that it's really really unpleasant and uncomfortable and 
the trees really, you know, they, they bring something. They, they cool yeah. things. I mean, the trees, this house is very cool because it's, oh, whatever, this is no-brainer. Stuff. It, I mean, it is. <laughs> you'd think it would be, but, right. um, you know, people don't plant trees on the south side of their house. If they did, it would be cooler. Mm-hmm. It would be less expensive to air condition. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, I, I think guess they're scared of them falling on their houses. There is that, and that happens. Well, you, it's like fall. anything, you know, you you have to maintain and take care of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the urban tree, um, you know, typically doesn't get. It has to be replaced. Um, I believe it's 15 years is what mm-hmm. they say is the average life of an urban tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're planting a tree that's going to grow to be 80 feet, that might be the wrong tree, you know. Mm-hmm. So you need the right tree for the job, yeah. so to speak. Although I'll tell you, we're going to have to change our name to Crepe Myrtle if we put in more Crepe <laughs> Myrtles. I mean, I'm sick of looking at Crepe. But, you Was know. that under Wilder that they, they took all the old trees out of Carytown and put in the... No, that was, uh, I don't think that was under Wilder, but um, that was handled poorly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have at least staggered the removal. And the tree they put in there, um, Hornbeam is the name of the tree, looks pretty much like a corn dog. I mean, it's the wrong <laughs> tree for the job. Yeah. It's going to be a tall, skinny tree that doesn't provide any shade. Um, uh, there are a number of different choices that could have been made. Um and but you know yes they drop leaves and you got to pick up the leaves but the it's clear in terms of air and noise pollution and um, uh, oxygen and just plain filtering the air and then soaking up water all these things uh, yeah. not to mention the aesthetic value but um, you know there's a price to pay for everything mm-hmm. and um, I've got bamboo in my backyard and I planted it. Which drives most people to <laughs> question my sanity. But the the fact is, it, the price to pay for bamboo is um, kicking it down in May and June when it sprouts new sprouts. Mm-hmm. If you do that, or if it comes up in the grass, you just mow it um, when it's less than a foot tall. Um, then you keep it under control. Same with trees. I mean, trees need uh, cultivation. Mm-hmm. Um, the city has, you know, we have uh, 1.6 million, actually it's a little less, from the Justice Center or the city jail being built. 1.6 million for public art. Um, that's 1% of the budget. And uh, that amount of money is not going to be used at the jail. A, per- a small percentage of that will be used at the jail. Um uh, and in the neighborhood of the jail. But that uh, a large part of that money could be used for the slave burial ground. Mm-hmm. And we went to the mayor with that uh, because at the time, Bruce Tyler, who was councilman, wanted to limit the money to $250,000. In other words, the rest of that money would be used for something else. Which of course he wanted to limit the amount of money spent on the slave burial ground. Well, he wanted to limit the amount of money that could be spent on public art, whether okay. it was at the jail or whether it was a gateway. So, how is it's budgeted one million to for well, public art? One percent of a capital improvement project goes to public art enrichment. Okay. So, if it's a police station or firehouse, 
um, you know, normally those are two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. So that's twenty five thousand or thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which will buy something. Mm-hmm. Um, and traditionally, the Public Art Commission would buy paintings or interior sculptures, nothing with a high profile. Um, so Skyrider, which was uh, across from the Main Street station, was a big budget. Mm-hmm. I think that was two fifty, two hundred fifty thousand. Um, and, um, uh, and the same thing with the police head I was talking about earlier. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I wasn't on the commission for either of those, but the so point let me is see if I get this straight. Like if something is being built for some certain amount of amount of money, then 1% of that budget can right. go to public art. It has to be a art. capital improvement right. project. So, okay. So they're building a jail and. Right, and the jail's so, 161 million, and so one percent of that is a million. One point six million. Point, okay. Yeah, and so you have that to play with, but somebody has been trying to keep that limited to two hundred fifty thousand. Um, last term of council, um, Bruce Tyler wanted to limit it. Mm-hmm. Well, we went to the mayor, um, talked about cities, uh, first tier cities around the country. Um, Austin, Texas, or Seattle, or Philadelphia, who were spending over a million dollars a year on public art. Um, and it was fortunate that uh, Charleston, West Virginia, had spent um, 850000 on a uh, Albert Paley sculpture in front of their arts and science building, their new arts and science building, because we would have been behind Charleston, West Virginia. And, of course, we brought that up to the mayor. Mm-hmm. But... Um, the point is the mayor supported what we were saying and said he would write a paper uh, opposing what Tyler wanted to do or to leave things alone. And um, and since then, he's added another million to the public art budget. The The value of that is immense in terms of economic development mm-hmm. and tourism and historical acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. So we really could do an installation at the slave burial ground by somebody of the likes of Maya Lin, who did the Vietnam Memorial, mm-hmm. that would attract people from all over the country mm-hmm. because it is a historical asset. And um, if it's tucked behind a... Uh, that that may be unfair. If it's, <laughs> if it's in the proximity of the baseball stadium and, you know... And we have less and less people going to a baseball stadium right. in the first place. Um, and it's a, if the it's, baseball stadium is right. crowding it out, yeah. I mean, uh, it, yeah. it's just—it's like um, it almost hurts to try to. It's like it's better nothing than something in the shadow of some poorly <laughs> conceived. Yeah. Well, it can stand on its own if it's. Developed. It really could, and like I, I couldn't picture it before talking to you. Now, is to think what what would that look like, and how would that not be a drag? And and yeah, if it's something like that. Um, that Vietnam thing or the uh, World War II thing that's in D.C., the, right. uh, which is an awesome space and, and it's, it's dramatic and it's cool. It's, all, you know, it's got story. It's got poignancy. It's got strength. Well, there's to it, a lot it? of potential also being right next to 95. Yeah. I mean, you could um, – uh, there's public art being put in that is spectacular. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it has a purpose. It has a narrative and it has a poetic current to it that is uh, visually and intellectually stimulating to people. Mm-hmm. So th- these are possible things. Uh, that's, so what do we got to do, Paul, to make this happen? What do we got to do? Um, yeah, you know, um, 
You mean to not have a stadium? Well, in to push something like you know, like you've got a certain amount of clout with this, right? You've done, you've put these things in the city before. I think you know if you connect this narrative to what you know the the boat, the headman, and Arthur Ashe, and you get the same people that were part of the inertia of that interested in this. In addition to like the Solomon Northrop people who are you know have weighed in on it, you know to say. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe this really is. This isn't like even a letdown for these other people. That this could really be a cool space, you know, not some sad, boring historical shit, but like you know, a dynamic, you know, dramatic space that has art in it. Is a public square that, that can have shops, that can have useful stuff, that can make use of the existing terrain. We want to keep this story going. We started telling this story here, you know, and this is. You know, this would this is a groundswell of something that's been going on, I, and you can sort of point to all of these conversations and all of these things that you've been involved in, and sort of lead that in that. Well, we're headed that way. Field. I mean, there's a, there is the, there's a waterfront development, which um, I mean, personally, I think uh, the reason Richmond's here is the same reason that Powhatan was here, mm-hmm. and it's called the Fall of James and great fishing in the spring. Right, and um, so you know. Putting in a, a Virginia Indian uh, acknowledgement in some form, yeah. whether it's whether it's kind of like a um, Jamestown mm-hmm. settlement, mm-hmm. but for the Native American, mm-hmm. or whether it's actually a piece of public art that's more static. There, the slave uh, the slave walk is, um, I think. Uh, is a tremendous asset. These could both be very organic. Things that don't require messing up right. or breaking a lot of eggs, you know, like over there in the floodplain near uh, the Fulton Gas Works, there could be something, or up on Powhatan Hill or Shimbarazo or or something that sort of sprawls all through that that hints at and tells a story but doesn't. Um, well, I mean, you're right, and the the whole area of Fulton, uh, Rockets Landing, and Fulton being the original seaport of Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, that could come back as yeah. a, a story to be told, but it has to fight with the remnants of um, HUD, Housing and Urban Development, mm-hmm. HUD, uh, ripping out the Fulton. You know, they ripped out slums, yes, but they also ripped out iron front brick buildings mm-hmm. and church and two churches, one which was a granite block church, mm-hmm. you, you know, and people's livelihoods in terms of stores. But Aside from that, um, there's a there's a there's an ancient history that Richmond could tell. Um, you know, Richmond could have at one point could have claimed the Virginia Aquarium on the James River and had a sturgeon in it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like we not that we couldn't, but um, I mean, we just don't have, there needs to be more vision going into this. And like, I think it's coming. It's it's easy to be impatient. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's driving the whole ballpark in the bottom is right. that people are impatient. I mean, I spent a lot of time talking to one of the guys that owns um, a restaurant that's going to be, be in view of it. And, I mean, he is, like, just so – this has to happen or we're yeah. all leaving. I mean, there he's acting like the ball club, too. And, like, I'm like, why is that a threat? Like, we're going to lose some frat bar, like, down in Chaco Bottom? Well, but, you know, <laughs> I think the – I, I do not understand the policy, and I, I've been meaning to look into it and try to 
try to see what sense there is. But you probably know that if you park on uh, Main Street after 9 o'clock on a weeknight or a weekend, you get towed. You can't park anywhere down there. And so once you've been towed, are you ever going to come back and Mm -hmm. visit again? I mean, you're... And people park there all the time, thinking, "Oh, look, a parking spot," because right. the sign, the signage isn't difficult, clear. Yeah. And um, and besides that, it's just it just doesn't make sense that you would tow people on a Saturday night, or or for that matter, a week night. Right after it's a bad o'clock. way of dealing with the cruising element, which is the same thing they did on Broad Street and D M V Drive. But, uh, see, like, I do think this is a problem Richmond has because if you think of Washington D.C. and Georgetown. I grew up with people cruising mm-hmm. uh, Georgetown. It was the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And yes, there was crime there. And yes, there were uh, tough pockets, mm-hmm. um, uh, mean city pockets in Georgetown. But it evolves beyond that rapidly mm-hmm. because it is popular. And I, th- I feel like the city has stabbed Shaco Bottom in the, in the commercial heart over and over again. Mm. And, um, and that one policy alone... Uh, it's not matching up with the reality. And uh, you want to encourage people down there, you got to give them a place to park. Mm-hmm. And if it's and if it's crowded and you can't drive through, that's going to attract more people mm-hmm. because crowds attract. People. I mean, I, I my gym is right there on Main and 18th, and I can't go down there from Thursday night on because there's no. I mean, it's good I can walk down there ride my bike, but if I'm coming from somewhere else, I I can't park there and. It's, Pain in the ass. And that is like, yeah, a, a nice parking deck down there, you know, inviting things instead of like the feeling that somebody's waiting to pounce on you, not just the criminal element, but the official element that you're they're laying in wait to ticket you to tow you yeah. to tell you to move along. I mean, yeah, it's not hospitable. It's a it's a bad. Well, I, I, um, I don't know what uh, I haven't. I think the public is tired of uh, reading about the ballpark being on and off and on and mm-hmm. on. I, I am. Um, I'm not sure where it is right now, to be honest. Um, I feel like the people who are actively for it or actively against it, um, you know, the people who are for it may prevail just because they they are the um, – they have their hand in the administration of the city, mm-hmm. and um, or maybe they have their hand in the pocket of the administration of the city. They're going to make money, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it, it's easy to believe that this is uh, going to work if um, if that's what you're hoping for, or you right. or you. In other words, you see what you want to see. But you probably don't actually care if it works. You probably are like, it'll work for me either way. Because well, I'm going to no, get paid, uh, and I'm going to get my. No, I. I mean, I feel that it's going to be. Um, I mean, the guys, a, the politicians, and the businessmen that are pushing for this, they're going to get their payday, and they have their moment, regardless of whether it works out. That's true, and uh, and I'll be sad if they tear the the, the diamond structure down because it's a beautiful structure, yeah, and, and uh, it's also functional and could mm-hmm. be made to work better than what they're. I mean, it already has more seats than the one they're going to mm-hmm. put in at the bottom. Yeah, and I've seen Camden Yards. I was just in downtown Baltimore. That's a much bigger space and a much bigger thing. And it, it, there's n- nothing. I mean, maybe if you had that kind of area around it, you know, like if 95 wasn't there, 
you could do something like that. But there's not enough space to do what they want to do. It's just not going to work. It's going to look ridiculous. I've looked at it. I mm. don't see that it's uh, there's the circulation for traffic, the parking. Um, I know about the decks going in, but the decks are high and that they're not pretty. And uh, I think, you know, it just strikes I mean, this is such a personal thing and maybe even a slightly hippy-dippy kind of a thing. But I believe a certain amount in juju and taint and curse and like a stain being on something. And what has always felt like to me was the problem with Richmond is not something anybody planning anything could solve. It, it's, it requires something like an exorcism, you know, some kind of a ritual that, that there is a lot of frustrated energy in, you know, clenched up. It's like the way that when a part of your body gets injured, you talk about my shoulder earlier, you you just protect it and favor it and it doesn't work like it's supposed to. You don't use it like you're supposed to. You just, you know, you're just kind of holding it, you know. And and that's clenched up in in the down in that area of, I mean that is that is like the sphincter, you know, sort of spiritual sphincter of this town, and like it's clenched. Uh, and you're like, gonna get quoted on that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 like it, it uh, you know, that general feeling that we we have some shame. We ha- on one side, it's a it's a desire to be recognized by African American people, um, a, a desire to be. A reconciled, a desire to be repaired, a desire to be known, that story to be whatever. And then on the other side is the side of, of like, we just want to forget it. Yeah. We just want to be in denial. We just don't want to think about this anymore. And those two things don't go together. So you've got this, you know, canceling out tight, you know, thing happening there. And if something happened to free up, they gave everybody what they need, which is to say we're not bad people because we live over this awful spot of history, you know, actually there's a different story. We change the story. As Don Draper says, if you don't like what they're saying, change the conversation, change the story. The story is, this is where, although people were misguided and fucked up and selfish back then, something awesome still came out of that. Something incredible passed through that portal. And we celebrate that portal. We build something that's like fucking Stargate down there or something, you know, like a, something that commemorates that this was passage. This is the end of the passage, you know. Well, and I, I always, um, there'll be a time when um, African-American history is understood as American history. Yeah. And we haven't quite got there yet. I mean, I, um, the, the uh, uh, African-American museum, you know, in Richmond is um, struggles with that. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, but but it is it is. Uh, when I say we're not patient, there's plenty of reasons not to be patient. But when it comes to the city developing, I I, I do feel like um, uh, the blocks that are keeping the what the blocks the um, the dams that are mm-hmm. preventing the flow from occurring in the bottom are really this idea that a stadium could go in. Mm-hmm. Everybody's waiting to sell out. Mm-hmm. You know, the landowners right. are waiting to cash so they're in. they're not doing anything with those spaces. So they're not doing it. anything with it. But, mm-hmm. um, and that that's uh, unfortunate. Well, there's other ideas that have been supposedly able to work, like the reopening of Main Street Station and maybe getting high-speed rail in there, and then that's going to suddenly transform that area into... Well, value, they're, and they're doing you know. that. I mean, that's going to happen anyway. But of course, it, then it, it's a bedroom community for DC, and you can come th- live there and take the train to work. 
Uh, yeah. yeah, well, um, uh, it probably there are. It'd be interesting to know how many people commute to D.C., you know. But you're right, they can't easily go to Main Street Station at the moment. But um, that that will happen. That development's going to occur. They've uh, they've the allocated money for it. No, I mean the Main Street Station uh, marketplace uh, redo. Oh, really? Yeah, that that is that whole shed. The old shed is yeah, being they're, redone. They're taking that down, and that plaza will be developed. But of course, it's it's going to be changed if there's a a ballpark um, there. A ballpark in there, right? And is there going to be enough room? You know, flat out, is there going to be enough room? It really doesn't just doesn't look like it. <laughs> so we've wait. I want to. We, we've been talking a long time about this, but there's a question I've been burning to ask you, and I don't know if anybody suggested this to you yet, but the um, a statue commemorating Odorous Arungus and Dave Brocky has that has that been? It, it has come up. I. Um, I wouldn't be the one to do it. I think that the slave pit sculptors would do a great job mm-hmm. of that. But um, uh, I would certainly support it. Mm-hmm. I think um, um, Brocky changed a lot of people's lives for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he shocked a lot of people, but um, really not into anything new, just into what was current among uh, a generation of people that um, had different music and, you know, Followed different heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, nothing works better to um, focus attention on a, on a life well lived than dying early. Yeah, and um, yeah, and he, uh, he did a good job, mm-hmm. and he was a generous man, mm-hmm. and he made uh, a number of bands happen mm-hmm. just just because he could. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I I've um, heard a little bit from a few people, but um, but my job in that is just to is to transfer information in terms of being a member of the Public Art Commission mm-hmm. and how and how these things get done if they're going to get done and what are the logistics and yeah I mean um, ideally uh, money's raised the sculptures built and the city accepts it and um, uh, and gives land. Uh, in a place where it's going to look good and there's nothing happening now. Right. Um, like Maggie Walker, for instance, has is long overdue for acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Most people know very little about her, um, me included. I didn't know anything about Maggie Walker until I lived in Richmond, but mm-hmm. she is a nationally known figure historically. Um, my favorite bit of information is that there was a point prior to owning a bank that she opened a department store on Broad Street. And, of course, um, mostly, if mostly if not exclusively, black people went to it to buy things. Mm-hmm. And um, she loaned them money and uh, in the form of would have a tab for people. Mm-hmm. And um, the white store owners didn't like it. And they basically drove her out of business, closed her down. Wow. And it was um, – uh, and then she got together with other um, smaller um, institutions, churches and whatnot, and started a bank and decided uh, if, if you're going to uh, you know, follow the money, 
<laughs> this is the place to start. That's ultimately the the, the power that. Yeah. But um, anyway, Maggie Maggie Walker, uh, the, what's called Lone Pine Park on um, Adams and Broad, was a site that was chosen a while ago, and mm-hmm. um, and now there's That's where a second. Max's is. And, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the second site is uh, Abner Clay Park, which is um, scheduled to be uh, refurbished. Where is that? That's you follow it. It's like um, across from Ebenezer Church and um, that area. Uh, there's a fire station on um, Marshall Street. Mm-hmm. And so oh, I, I oh think yeah, it's, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. People play be, soccer there all the yeah. Marshall yeah. and Adams, maybe. It's. Um, I've often wondered. There's a building you can see from the highway that's on the north side of the highway that's in in, in Creighton Court that uh, says Luke. Or something on it, and I know her. She had, the name of her bank or something had something to do with Luke's or St. Luke's or something like that. Mm, but the, I don't know about that. I, I wondered if it had something to do with her. But yeah, um, this has uh, been a really awesome conversation. We could go on and on, but we're at like over two hours at this point. <laughs> yeah, and then it's a school night, so got to get up. Early yeah, and, the, and, they, and it, any longer than this, and like I wouldn't even be able to upload it. Onto my <laughs> website, so I might ha- I might for the first time have to edit this down to. Uh, well, I look something. forward to reading it, and, uh, and well, I, you'll hear it. It's a that's what this this is a, a podcast, so it's like yeah. a, um, a radio broadcast, except that you um, you download it or you listen to it online. Cool. So you're you're basically doing like a, a radio show that doesn't get broadcast; it gets voluntarily right uh, listened to, selectively yeah. listened. That's right. Good. But I think this will, you know, this is a interesting. I just did one with a, a young woman named Mo Carnage. Do you know her? Um, I've heard that name kicking around, but you have to tell me. She's an remember. advocate. Uh, she's an anarchist and political right, advocate, right, right. advocate that has been Monroe fighting Park. to keep Monroe Park yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, part of the city and not privatized. And she feeds, does food, not bombs, and uh-huh. um, you know, really invested in. In like expressing an element of the city that is another thing that people kind of want to ignore. Um, I'll have to really, listen to that even, one. You know, I, until talking to her, I never even really thought of, le- you know, legitimately regarding the homeless as citizens of the city. Like, I always thought of them as transient or hobo or something right. like that. But no, no, they live here also. Right. You know, <laughs> and, and um, that was a kind of a revelation for me. And I'm not intentionally trying to devalue anybody. It's just has, I have never given any brain space to it and um but you know she came out of hanover county which is where you know patrick henry came from and there's and i just occurred to me that there's this interesting kind of tradition uh yeah you've got the big picture in mind that's for sure well that's how i mean that's what this podcast is and that's my you know i think that's what what richmond really needs is that story Mm -hmm. you know our story sucks right now you know it's not a good story it's just a bunch of failures and like this was here, but now it's not here anymore. This was here, now it's not here anymore. Everybody moved on and left it behind, and it's just this ghost town. That's the perception, but we have this whole other story that we need to all get together and be telling, you know. And you've just given me an awesome piece of it by well, I'm, over d- I'm glad of that, and uh, and I'll hold out that uh, once they build condominiums in front of Connecticut, we'll uh, we'll move them up to Broad Street and put them on top of. Uh, you know, the new convention center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Overlooking former Indian territory. That w- It would be really cool if it could, g- if there's no building for it, but like where, 
what we understand to have been where Comico, um, I mean, was that, I've heard different accounts, but I thought that he had a summer camp up on Shimborazo or on Powhatan Hill, but um, maybe it was further up the river. I well, I'll tell you, it's, um, I, I don't know about that, but I do, I, I can say that um, uh, up by the pool, which is on formerly Powhatan Hill, now Fulton Hill, mm-hmm. Hill, the sledding hill, mm-hmm. when they put the parking lot in for the pool, I, this was uh, 20 years ago. I went down there. It was right after a rain, and I took my daughter Kate down, and we picked up in a half an hour probably a dozen arrowheads or spear points. Oh, wow. But I took them over to the uh, Historical Society just to ask them about it, and they said these are not what we would call Indian spear points. These are prehistoric. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, wow. Um, like Paleolithic, yeah. Kinda, uh, even, hmm, I wow. mean, that area is ancient on mm-hmm. account of the tidal basin mm-hmm. uh, in terms of human uh, habitation. So, um, the the bigger the picture um, you can create by doing um, blogs like this, interviews like this mm-hmm. from a broader or a broad spectrum of people, I think is uh, is very useful. Mm-hmm. And um, surely we need uh, uh, venues for people to listen to a conversation outside of their own it was something zone. that's not, yeah, it, it's out of your comfort zone. And, it, and it's been out. I mean, what, what I put up with, with Mo Carnage and the, and, and the resulting, <laughs> like, and it has been a huge amount of backlash, but just a little has challenged, uh, like, a lot of assumptions that I've had and and. And like it's an awesome opportunity for me. I hope it's an opportunity for other people. But so often, what we get is a very manicured right. thing with it, where somebody decided what the story was. And my whole hope is to allow people to have find their own story in this these things, you know, and find right. something they need to get out of it. Um, though there's so much in this one. I mean, maybe I'll just do the two part thing, you know. But um, I really I thank you, and you you've really um, You've uh, fleshed out something for me that I never knew. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't know. I've never have thought of this story, this aspect of the story, the African American part of the story, as no. It's not um, somehow coming in and changing the story. It's a part of the story that needs volume turned up on it. It's always been here. It is as as established as anything else. Just nobody's been listening. Yeah, that, to that's it. a good way to put it. <laughs> you know? And well, you're welcome. I'm uh, um, uh, looking looking forward to following other pieces that you do. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. Over. So that's yeah, that's a long one, extra tantric. But uh, I don't know what to cut out of that. I mean, I can go in there, take shit out, but I don't know. It's supposed to be real, right? That's my deal. And I can't back down from that. Um, it's still, I mean, the other thing is I do try to keep them shorter because they got to be knocked all the way down to 64 <clears throat> megabits. It doesn't sound that good in order to fit. But anyway, <clears throat> I hope you made it through all of that. I had a great time talking to Paul, and it really did me a lot of good. It was therapeutic because, like I said in the beginning, I got my feelings hurt. Um, and really, you know, it was 
tough getting confronted by maybe some of the attitudes I have that I didn't realize are bad attitudes. But it's also a service. It's uh, helpful. And I'm glad that for whatever reason I can eventually make something positive out of it. But uh, I got a little bitch slap. It's good. I'm trying to soldier on with this, though I've been feeling a little like I want to shut the fuck up. But uh, I don't know. If you guys are digging it, let me know. Because I don't know. I don't hear much other than that super negative thousand word rant. And it'd be nice to hear every now and then if you guys appreciate this and you don't want me to shut up. And uh, that'd be nice. Thank you. And uh, hey, if you think about it, you can kick in a little money on the donate section on the website. Make a donation, PayPal. You can just pay with a credit card. That'd be really helpful. Appreciative. And I would just really appreciate it as a gesture. $10, $20. Hey, Curtis, keep up, keep up the good work. Something like that. All right, thank you. And good night.